Well, Luke chapter 15, 11 to 32. This is Jesus teaching. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he rose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. He called to one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and he refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, These many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed a fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Well, question for you this morning, where would you expect to find to meet up with a, a manager of a betting shop? Or what about a prostitute? Or a bartender at a gay bar? Or what about a racist? A bigot? 
probably, you'd think, in their shop, in their bars, or their regular hangouts. The funny thing is, though, that in Jesus' day, if we were to have gone there, we might also have found him there. Quite shocking stuff. You see, the religious establishment of his day were shocked and scandalized at the company that Jesus was keeping. Luke 15, verses 1 to 2, the beginning of this chapter. You can turn over and and read it with me. Uh, The tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. That's Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes, that's the religious elite of the day, they grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. And that complaint, that grumbling from the religious elite prompts Jesus to tell three stories, parables we call them, stories that pack a punch, have a, have a teaching point to them. Each one of them is about the lost. So it begins with uh, the lost sheep, you know, a shepherd having to leave his 99 to search for the one that is missing. The woman who loses one of her 10 coins, so searches high and low until she rejoices because she's found what is lost. And Jesus has been ramping up and up the tension, essentially saying, let me tell you about who God really is. He's the one who finds the lost. He searches out the lost. One in a hundred sheep, one out of ten coins. And then we get to a story about two sons. And this is where Jesus lands the final blow where the teaching point hits home. So uh, let's have a look at what this story is all about. You can follow inside the yellow service sheets a little outline of where we're going. But let's start with the younger son. Verse 11, Jesus said to them, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Now, This is already quite shocking behavior, actually, certainly to the people listening. To demand inheritance whilst your dad is still living is sort of like saying, I wish you were dead. Hurry up and die already so I can sell up and live my life. It's horrible, isn't it? But in a society where land was not only your, your wealth, but also your means of survival... Well, to effectively take a huge chunk of that out would be to knock your family right back down the ladder, put them right on the edge. What does he do with this wealth? Well, can you spot it in verse 13? Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had, and he took a journey into a far-off country. And there he squandered his property on reckless living. He goes on his travels. He lives the life. He's the younger son is what we might call a a hedonist. Living for the moment, the joy of now. Live fast, having fun. But it doesn't last, does it? Look at verse 14. When he'd spent everything, a severe famine rises in the country. Okay, so now there's no food in this country. And he began to be in need. He's burned through the cash on this gap year, hasn't he? The market hiccups. Bitcoin has crashed. The mate who had the rock-solid business plan that just needs a bit of cash investment has absolutely disappeared. 
and he has to get a job. So he hires himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the field to feed pigs. And he was longing, verse 16, to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. No one gave him anything. He's at rock bottom now. No money. Not even enough for real food. And the pig food is beginning to look awfully tempting. Now, it's possible that sitting here today, we might spiritually sort of relate to this younger son. Spiritually, maybe our relationship with God has never really been something that we've considered. Relationship with our Heavenly Father. Not something that I actually care about particularly. I'd rather live for the here and now. Thinking something like, uh, surely God is happy to just let me live my life. Or even maybe just not considering him at all. We're in a far-off country spiritually, just living it up, living life. Maybe, though, we've been there, and we sort of relate to the other side of it. We've been there, and we've lived it up. And now, spiritually speaking, we feel like we're down and out. Life seems to not really have, actually, that much meaning for us. We're asking the big questions. What's the point in all of this? What was I actually even made for? Where on earth is my life headed? And the answers we're getting maybe are seeming to us the equivalent of pig food. Answers like, the point is there is no point. Just live your life and enjoy. Answers like, make yourself happy and why not try and help others too? There's nothing wrong with enjoying life and helping others. But if we settle for that then we're actually settling for the spiritual equivalent of pig food in a famine land. So what does the younger son do now that he's crashed and burned? Verse 17, can you spot it? He comes to himself and he thinks, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish with hunger? And we get to our next point. It's a misunderstanding of grace. Verse 18, I'll arise, I'll go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And so he rose and and goes to his father. He realizes that he's gone wrong. He realizes that he's screwed up. He has a change of heart and says, I'm going to go back. But he still doesn't actually really understand his father, does he? He doesn't really understand his father. He has what we call a misunderstanding of grace. He goes back to his father thinking, I'll be a servant. I'll I'll get a servant's food, I'll get a servant's lodging, and I'll earn my keep. I don't deserve to be a son. I'll just try and be a servant. But he doesn't get it, does he? Because what's the father's reaction? While he was still a long way off, verse 20, His father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. In verse 21, the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He's got the speech lined up, ready to go to his dad. The son, he's been been prepping and he's getting ready to say, let me be your servant. And maybe that's you here today. Maybe we're here 
sat here thinking, I know that I'm not good enough for God. Look at the way that I've lived. But maybe if I come to church, I put in a little bit of effort. Maybe, just maybe, he'll be all right with me. He doesn't have to treat me as a child. Just a servant will do. But then we see the father's reaction. While the son is still a long way off, the father runs to him. He's been watching. He's been waiting. He runs to him. He feels compassion. He embraces and kisses his son. He interrupts the speech. Don't be silly. Before you try and earn anything from me, verse 22, the father says to his servants, bring quickly the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his hand. Shoes on his feet. Robe, ring, sandals. It's all saying, this is my son. He's part of the family. And it's time to celebrate. Verse 23, bring out the fattened calf and kill it. That was the best cow they possibly had. Let us celebrate. Why all the celebrating? Verse 24, for this my son was dead and now he's alive. He was lost and now he is found. And they begin to celebrate. You can imagine, can't you, as Jesus is telling this, he gets to the part where the son is going to go home and be a servant to his father. And all of the religious elites who are are sitting there listening to him start nodding. Like, wise decision. It's, you know, more than he deserves. It would be compassionate, understandable of the father to take him in as a servant. But then they hear about what the father does. And their jaws would have been on the floor, wouldn't they? Particularly when in their society, for a father to to even run like this would have been undignified. For him to, though, run to his scoundrel of a son and treat him with welcome, with compassion, with dignity, and to celebrate his return. This son deserves nothing. But the father says, no, you're not a servant. You're my son. You were dead, and now you are alive. You were lost. And now you are found. Do we realize, sitting here today, this is the welcome that we can have from our Heavenly Father. Spiritually, in our natural state, we are dead. And when we realize that, our instinct is so often to try and earn something from God, isn't it? Earn God's favor. But Jesus says, no. While you're still a long way off, your father will go to you. He'll bring you into the family. No matter who you are, no matter how you've lived, the mistakes that you have made, the pig fields that you've ended up in, he says, come and be part of my family. I love you. You are my child. Come in and let's celebrate. And that offer is for each and every single one of us here this morning. We can come to our Heavenly Father and come home. But that leaves us, doesn't it, with the older brother, the older son. What's he been up to? Well, verse 25, he was out in his field 
As he, as he came and, and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. He calls to one of his servants, what's going on? What does this mean? And verse 27, he said to him, your brother's come home. Your father's killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. Now, you might expect the older brother to rejoice and, and join in with that. But instead, what does he get up to? He's angry. And he refuses to go in. You can kind of uh, break the world up into people who are the more natural rule followers, rule keepers, and rule breakers, can't you? Um, I would say that, personally, I'm a little bit more on the rule-breaking side. It's my like natural propensity. You know, If there's a, a rule where common sense will do, why can't we just have common sense? I say these sorts of things, and my wife says to me, you are what's wrong with society. <laughs> you can see our, our different sides. The younger brother is more of a rule-breaker, isn't he? The older brother, the oldest son, he's a rule-keeper. He's been in the field. Verse 25, this means he's, he's working. He's tending the farm all this time. So it's not simply that this is a, a sibling rivalry and that he's bitter about it. No, he's been hard at work. He's kept all the rules. He's done a, a good job with a bad situation. He's been the very best father that... He's been the very best that his father could possibly wish for. And maybe today you relate to that. You aren't like these people who are engrossed in wild living. You're not interested in living it up. You've always been good, always been better than most, always been the hard-working, living correctly, recycling well, responsible, well-formed members of society. It would be hard for you to be described as lost. This is clearly who Jesus is talking to. Those who are shocked that he's hanging around with the types of people who would be considered younger sons. And this is where Jesus turns the screw. Because he shows that the older son also has a misunderstanding of grace. Have a look with me. Verse 28. His father came out and entreated him. It means pleaded with him. He wants him to come in, join the party. But he answers his father, look, these many years I have served you. I've never disobeyed your commands. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might have a party with my friends. Verse 30. But when this son of yours come, he devoured your property with prostitutes. You kill a fattened calf for him. The older son here, is showing that he also is lost. Because he has the same actual understanding of grace that the younger son has. He says, I've not been like my brother. I've been good. I've been working away. I've never disobeyed. And what have I got to show for it? What have you given me? I haven't even had a small party, but you kill our very best fattened calf for this son who threw away the inheritance on prostitutes and wild living. His understanding here, the older son, of his father's love is that by doing all the right things, by doing all the good things, he'll be loved. He's thinking 
that he can earn it from his father. It's just like the younger son thought he could. He's thinking that he'll earn some love. Now, we might relate more to the older son today, if you're here this morning, thinking, well, I'm glad I'm not like that younger brother. We might have walked into church this morning thinking, well, you know, I'm, I'm a bit more together than the next guy. I, I, I'm certainly not perfect, but better than uh, that person at work. Do we realize that that sort of attitude is just as sinful as the wild living of the younger brother? Because where the younger brother is unrighteous, the older brother is self-righteous. Where the younger brother is unrighteous, the older brother is self-righteous. There was an old preacher called Thomas Adams who used to say that self-righteousness is the devil's masterpiece. And we can see right, right, can't we? Because self-righteousness says, I don't need God. I've got me. It takes, it says, God, have mercy on me because I'm good. My friend tells this story that I think illustrates the older son's attitude well. Growing up, she was a little bit of a rule keeper, uh, the rule keeping type. Her older sister, though, one day wanted to go to the cinema to see a film with some friends. Her parents saw it and, and, and the, the trailer and saw that it was like a 15 and was like, this is inappropriate for your age. Uh, the older sister, you know, you can't go. So the sister says, fine, uh, we'll go and see a more appropriate film. Now, when it was nearly time to pick her up from the cinema, the parents asked, asked my friends to check the exact time that it ends. And she discovers that the only film that could remotely end at this time is the film that her parents had forbidden her sister to see. So now my friend, in true younger sibling fashion, is thrilled about this. She can't wait for the trouble that her older sister is going to get into. So as they're on their way to pick her up, she's in the, the very back seats of this uh, you know, people carrier car, a couple of rows of seats, and she can't contain her excitement at her sister getting told off. So much so that her dad sort of fixes her gaze in the rearview mirror and tells her, lie down on those seats, not another sound out of you. I don't even want to see your face right now. And her sister gets in. She's there at the very back seats, hand over mouth, struggling to contain her glee at this trouble. And the parents say to the sister, we're so proud of you for doing what we asked in not going and seeing that film. Where would you like to go for dinner? It's your choice. Now, my friend was obviously pretty livid about this, but also excited to go out for dinner. They go to a Mexican place. The parents say, because you did what we asked in not seeing that film, and it was a big sacrifice for you to say that to your friends as well, you can have whatever you want from the menu. No limits. Get the milkshakes in. Go wild. The whole works. And as the food arrives... And the parents are saying how much they love this older sister. She breaks down in tears and admits that she went and saw the wrong film. She tells her parents what she did. To which the parents, of course, say, we know. (laughs) We know. And we want you to know that we still love you, even though you disobeyed us. And we want you to never do it again. 
Now, my friend who has been watching all of this in horror finally can't take it anymore and absolutely loses it at the injustice of the whole thing, has the breakdown, and is the one who receives the telling off. She wanted the unrighteous sister to pay, and her self-righteousness betrayed her own sinful heart. She tells that story, and I think it it illustrates well some of that attitude that can creep in. With all that said, though, whether we more naturally relate to the younger brother or the older brother, how does Jesus actually deal with these misunderstandings of grace? Because when you think about it, in the parable, the story that Jesus is telling, everything that the father was now spending on the younger son, the the premium steak, the designer clothes, The older son is seeing the cost of that falling out of his inheritance. Because the younger son's taken all that's his. So anything that's left, it's going to be the older son's one day. So he's seeing the cost of this party. And he's like, you've got to be joking me. This is costing too much. And this is where we see that Jesus is not misunderstanding grace by telling this story. He's showing that his life, his death, and his resurrection are the perfect answer the perfect grace. Look at what the father says to the older son. Verse 31. He said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and he is alive. He was lost and is found. Remember who Jesus is talking to, the religious elites, the establishment of the day who are shocked that Jesus is hanging out with the people that they disapprove of, that society disapproves of. And he's saying to them, they're like the older brother. They don't care for the lost, for the down and out, for the ones society look down on, the sinners. More than that, though, in their society, in that time, If the younger brother had gone out and lost his way in reckless living, there was still a family responsibility to him. It would have been the job of the older brother to go and get the younger brother, to search for him, to find him. Like the shepherd who who, who loses a sheep and looks for the one sheep, for the woman who loses the coin and looks for the one coin. All the listeners would have been expecting Jesus to talk about the brother who looks for the brother. It would have been his job to find him, no matter the cost. His job to bring him home, to pay the debts that he owes, to redeem him out of this terrible mess. He should have taken the shame upon himself and rescued his brother. It would have cost likely more than the fattened calf but the brother refused to look out for him, refused to bear the cost, refused to search, refused to take the shame of being associated with him. And this is why the very influential pastor, Tim Keller, who died recently, used to say that, spiritually speaking, Jesus is the true and better older brother. Because whether we are wayward, unrighteous livers or self-righteous, looking down our nose at others. It puts us in the same category of needy sinner whose only hope is God will somehow bear the cost of our shame and sin. 
And this is what Jesus did on the cross. When he was killed, the only one to never sin, to live a completely perfect and holy life, the only one who never deserved death and went through it so that instead of dying, we could be raised with him. He is the only one to have a perfect relationship with the Father and then be cut off from him as he takes our sin upon himself so that we could be brought into relationship with our Heavenly Father. Jesus, perfect grace, searches for us, brings us home, the true and better older brother. So what will we do about this? Well, maybe you're the younger son type, the younger brother. It's time today to come home. Let's not think we can earn our father's love. Let's not think maybe we can just serve him. No. Let's see him run to us because the perfect older brother has taken the cost. It doesn't matter who you are or what you have done. It's time to come home. Now, if you're more of the older brother type, Maybe it's time we stop deceiving ourselves. Maybe it's time we stop comparing ourselves. Maybe it's time we stop relying on ourselves. And today might be the day that we stop looking at our own righteousness and instead see Jesus' perfect righteousness given for us. And maybe we're here and have been guilty on looking down on others in church, just like that religious establishment of that day, rather than rejoicing that God has brought them in and brought them home. If that's you here today, today is the day to join the celebration. In Jesus' day, he welcomed sinners. Today is no different. And it means you and me. So the question that we began with, where would you expect to meet an owner of a betting shop? Where would you expect to meet a prostitute, a manager of a gay bar? What about a racist, a bigot? The answer, of course, should be right here. Welcome to church. We're going to take a moment, pause and reflect on this. And then we'll continue our service in prayer.